0: The confirmation hearings enter into a second day as Democrats push the hard buttons. Forecasts of an economic v shaped recovery emerge and President Trump says he could start kissing people. My name is Jonathan Hewitt and this is The Conservative Voice. Okay, everybody, so starting yesterday, I told you all that I'll be doing an overview of what, in my opinion, are one of the most important documents in American history. And that's the Federalist Papers. For those of you who don't know what the Federalist Papers are, they were a series of 85 essays written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. They outlined outline the Founding Fathers' intentions with the constitutions and the framework for what they envisioned for the nation. So starting today, we'll look at Federalist II, which is written by John Jay. And in the essay, he introduces the idea of the dangers from foreign forces and influence. In one of the opening sentences of the essay, he states something that is very true today and is something that the American people and the government need to ensure remains balanced. So here's the quote. Nothing is more certain than the indispensable necessity of government, and it is equally undeniable that whenever and however it is instituted, the people must cede to it some of their natural rights in order to vest it vest it with Requisite power So what does that mean? That means that for in order for government whichever may be whether it be democratic socialist communism, whatever it may be At some point the people have to give up some of their rights Some of their natural rights in order for the government whoever to have enough power to institute government with that being true the social contract that that constructs has to be balanced. Now, in communism and socialism, you have it where the people concede the majority, if not all of their rights, in dictatorship and things like that, in exchange for the requisite power the government holds. In our government, in our republic, we see things like paying taxes and obeying the law, as part of those rights in exchange for the government to provide us forms of protection to look out for the commonwealth, things like that. He then goes to say, and I quote, with equal pleasure, I have as often taken notice that Providence has been pleased to give this one connected country to one united people, a people descended from the same ancestors, speaking the same language, professing the same religion, attached to the same principles of government, very similar in their manners and customs, and who, by the joint council's arms and efforts fighting side by side throughout a long and bloody war, have nobly established general liberty and independence. This country and this people seem to have been made for each other, and it appears as if the design of Providence that the inheritance so proper and convenient for a band of brethren united to each other by the strongest ties should never be split into a number of unsocial jealous and alien sovereignties holy cow like that is crazy right jay in this drives home the ideas that our foundation as a country is not one that is bound in government that our country is not created by the government or described by the government, but rather by those things that bind us together. The fact that we do come from the same ancestors, that we do come from the same language and practice similar religions and have similar mannerisms, that those principles are the ones that define us. But too often, the government, the overarching government, is seen as the entity that binds us. And that's not true. And our forefathers recognize this. In one of Jay's closing paragraphs, he says, the convention composed of men who possessed the confidence of the people and many whom had become highly distinguished by their patriotism, virtue, and wisdom in times which the minds and hearts of men undertook the arduous task in the mild season of peace with minds unoccupied by other subjects. They passed many months In cool, uninterrupted, and daily consultation—sorry, daily consultation—and finally, without having been awed by power or influenced by any passion except for love of their country, they presented and recommended to the people the plan produced by their joint and very unanimous councils. So, imagine today, right? If we could have a government that and politicians that only cared about the passion for the love of the country and that greed and jealousy did not get in the way. So looking at these I know that it doesn't seem to be very much in the idea of foreign defense and foreign influence and things like that but what it does is it sets the precedent that we are stronger together than we will ever be as divided confederacies. That in order for us to fight our foreign adversaries, we have to be connected as one. And that is very true. And those that seek to destroy America, seek to divide America. And that they, our adversaries, recognize that we are stronger as one entity rather than as separate ones. So we'll go on to Federalist Three, which is also written by John Jay, that continues the idea foreign defense and foreign forces tomorrow. But we'll go on today and start today's news off with some key takeaways from ACB's hearings yesterday. So the Democrats continue to say that what is going on is unconstitutional and that we're in the middle of an election and therefore the president should not perform his duties. Yesterday Lindsey Graham from South Carolina the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee quoted the notorious RBG herself saying, the bottom line is, Justice Ginsburg, when asked about this this several years ago, and a president said a president serves for four years, not three, there is nothing unconstitutional about this process. So it is very true that the Democrats are trying to say that given the fact that there has been a time previous that Obama nominated a judge and the Senate did not confirm the nomination. However, like we've said yesterday, the Senate and the presidency were not held by the Democrats. The Republicans were the Senate, and if they chose not to confirm President Obama's nomination, that is their prerogative. So Senate Democrats have all kinds of reasons that they believe that Trump is pushing for the nomination, like fears of contested elections and the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois said that Trump is nominating Barrett to the Supreme Court to do his, in quote, political chores and, in quote, rule in his favor on any election contest. First of all, this is an incredibly disrespectful quote to Barrett and of the other sitting judges of the Supreme Court, that any of them would violate their oaths and their canons and rule in favor of a partisan president instead of remaining independent. The fact of the matter is, Trump's the president and he has a duty to nominate someone to fill the vacancy in the Supreme Court. It is then the job of the Senate to decide whether they're going to confirm that nomination. That is the benefit, like I said, of holding both the presidency and the Senate. I've said it for the past few days now that just because they're unhappy with the decision does not mean that the president or the Senate are violating the laws or the Constitution. So Democrat Senator Chris Coons from Delaware played into the same idea that Trump had chosen Barrett as a way to get his way when he gave this double-handed comment. I'm not suggesting you made some secret deal with President Trump, but I believe the reason that you were chosen is precisely because your judicial philosophy, as repeatedly stated, could lead to the outcomes President Trump has sought, End quote. So once again, I'm not quite sure I understand the point that they're trying to make. Since the beginning of the, of the republic, presidents have elected Supreme Court justices that align with their views that they have for this country. That is why over the course of history, Democrats have nominated liberal justices and Republicans have nominated conservatives, conservative and originalist justices. That is the benefit of being the party in power at the time. And if Baird is elected to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court may remain in conservative control for the next few decades. But after that, there is a potential, if a Democrat is in office, when another vacancy occurs, that that will change in dynamic. That is the ebb and flow of the American Supreme Court. Republican Senator... Ben Sass spoke to the committee about Democrats and the packing of the court if the Senate does confirm Barrett. He is quoted saying that this court packing is political suicide. The Republicans also took a moment yesterday to speak about religious freedoms. Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, said, when you tell somebody that they're too Catholic to be on the bench. When you tell them that they're going to be a Catholic judge and not an American judge, that is bigotry. And this is absolutely correct. The fact that the Democrats on the committee will not say that they will use Amy Coney Barrett's faith against her is radical. If they're going to discriminate on her and use it as a reason that she should not be confirmed, that is a clear violation of our First Amendment. Her right to practice whatever faith is her decision and should not be used against her on the decision on whether she is fit or not to serve as a Supreme Court justice. Even though September 11th was orchestrated by a Muslim terrorist, Ilhan Omar is a city member of Congress. The fact that she practiced a faith that openly discriminates against women and continues to create radical extremists, and we still allow her in public office regardless of her faith is incredible. And the fact that the Democrats are honing in on ACB's Catholic faith as their reason, even though they allow Ilhan Omar without any question to her Muslim faith, is outright hypocrisy. So the second day of Barrett's hearing today move forward, and boy has everything it has been everything that you thought it would be. We'll start with the Democrat uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, Dianne Feinstein, who began hitting the hot-button topics that the Democrats and the Democratic Congress and members of the Democratic Party wish for her to ask. She began asking Barrett about her view on abortions and what her stance was on Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which are probably the two most well-known abortion case laws. Barrett's response was exactly what it should have been, even though the Democrats are going to use this answer as a rallying cry to why she should not be nominated. Barrett invoked their own RBG, invoking the Ginsburg rule, quoting Justice Ginsburg with her characteristic pithiness used this to describe how a nominee should comport herself at a hearing. No hints, no previews, no forecasts. That has been the practice of nominees before her, but everybody calls it the Ginsburg rule because she stated it so concisely and it has been the practice of every nominee since. I personally do not see an issue with this. I often find it funny how the Democrats say that they want an unbiased judge on the bench, but then when one says that she will be unbiased, (coughs) unbiased, they continue to push and push them to be more unbiased and to be openly state that they will be unbiased. And to put it in Senator Feinstein's own word, it's in quote, distressing not to get a straight answer. Here's a clip. And you tell me if you sound like this was a straight answer or not. Do you agree with Justice Scalia's view that Roe was wrongly decided?
1: So Senator, I do wanna be forthright and answer every question so far as I can. I think on that question, you know, I'm going to invoke Justice Kagan's description, which I think is um, perfectly put. When she was in her confirmation hearing, she said that she was not going to grade precedent or give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And I think in an area where precedent continues to be pressed and litigated, as is true of Casey, it would be particularly, um, it would actually be wrong and a violation of the canons for me to do that as a sitting judge. Um, so if, if I express a view on a precedent one way or another, whether I say I love it or I hate it, it signals to litigants that I might tilt one way or another in a pending case.
0: So there it is. There's the moment when Barrett said that she would overturn Roe v. Wade and that the precedence that is set forth will be overturned and every Democrat passed law will be no more. Or Better yet, did it sound like a judge with a sound mind stating that she is not going to judge what other judges have ruled and that she will hand down rulings based on law. Now this has infuriated the liberal left because she won't openly admit whether or not she will overturn Roe v. Wade or Casey. Do I believe that it should be overturned? Yes. I don't see how killing innocent babies is a right under the Constitution. With that being said, I think that the response given by Barrett is one set in unbiasedness towards the subject. And as Barrett quoted, she will use stare decisis in order to make decisions. For those of you who don't know what stare decisis is, it's the legal term stating the process used to litigate decisions. And that's the way that it should be. So. Here's one last clip of Barrett being pushed a little harder for her to openly denounce that she will be, she'll be show bias in, this in future cases, which she then again denounces, regardless of Feinstein's pushes to try to get her to say something that she's not going to do. Uh, I don't know if you'll answer this one either. Do you agree with Justice Scalia's view that Roe can and should? be overturned by the Supreme Court?
1: Well, I think my answer is the same because, you know, that's a case that's litigated. It could, you know, its contours could come up again. In fact, do come up, you know, they, they came up last term before the court. So I think, you know, what the Casey standard is and um, that's just, it's a contentious issue, which is I know one reason why it would be comforting to you to have an answer, but I can't, express views on cases or pre-commit to approaching a case any particular way.
0: And so the question comes, um, what happens? And will this justice uh, support a law that has substantial precedent now? Would you commit yourself on whether you would or would not?
1: Senator, what I will commit is that I will obey all the rules of stare decisis that if a question comes up before me about whether Casey or any other case should be overruled, that I will follow the law of stare decisis, applying it as the court has articulated it, applying all the factors, reliance, workability, um, being undermined by later facts and law, just all the standard factors. And I promise to do that for any issue that comes up, abortion or anything else, I'll follow the law.
0: Well, there it is. She said it openly. I'll follow the law. I will use the facts and circumstances surrounding the case to make a decision, and I'm not going to sit here and make a decision and commit to something today that you're going to use against me later tomorrow. I don't know what more they want. Actually, I lied. I'll tell you what they want. I'll tell you what their problem is. Yesterday, in Barrett's opening statement, she said to the, to the She said that the court should not make law, and that it is the job of Congress to litigate, not, sorry, not litigate, to create legislation. That is the problem the Democrats have. For far too long, the Democrats in the legislative branch have turned to the Supreme Court when they are unable to legislate a law that they want. If Barrett gets confirmed, she'll threaten this abuse of power and threatens to bring this Supreme Court back into a balance back into being an independent body that's equal to Congress. That is what the Democrats are afraid of. That is what is at stake for them. That is why they have pushed so hard for her not to get elected. Because they know as soon as she becomes elected, Supreme Court tilts towards the originalists and towards the conservatives, and that they can no longer use this to oppress their power over the American people and outright circumvent the checks and balances the Constitution gives for. Government is, to them, is no longer a means to facilitate fairness and protect the commonwealth but is more of an obstacle in the Democrats way in their pursuit for power. And as always CNN runs an article that is a lie and is just blatantly untrue. If you haven't learned already, CNN is going to cut and paste a hearing, speech, debate, whatever it is, in such a manner that they think it best fits their narrative. Then they're going to fill it with statements that they believe will garner a response from the left. And an article written today by Jeremy Heard and Claire Foren and then published by CNN is no different. They say, but Barrett repeatedly declined to answer questions, from Democrats on how she might rule on a range of topics, from next month's Supreme Court case challenging the Affordable Care Act to Roe v. Wade and the high court's ruling legalizing same-sex marriage. Are you serious? I don't know about you, but we just listened to her give the answer. Just because she didn't give the answer that you wanted does not mean that she refused to answer the question. She gave them the answer, and one that points to the fact that she as of right now, and all facts available right now, will be unbiased. So, as we all know right now, the economy, it's been struggling. Small businesses across America are struggling to keep the lights on and the doors open. With that being said, the V-shaped recovery that President Trump has been promising and that he would be able to keep going if he's re-elected is starting to show. In an article today, written by Martin Kutzinger of the Associated Press. The IMF estimated today that the global economy will shrink 4.4% for 2020. That would be the worst annual plunge since the Great Depression of the 1930s. By comparison, the international economy contracted by a far smaller 0.1% after the devastating 2008 financial crisis. The monetary fund's forecast for 2020 and its latest world economic outlook does represent an upgrade of a 0.8 percentage point from its previous forecast in June. The IMF attributed the slightly less dire forecast to faster-than-expected rebounds in some countries, notably China, and to government raid, government rescue aid that was enacted by the United States and other major industrial countries. While forecasting a global contraction this year after 2.8% growth in 2019, the IMF predicts a rebound to global growth of 5.2% next year, 0.2 percentage point lower than in its June forecast. I think this is something that we can all agree on that the the longer America and the world remain shut down, the higher impact on the economy it will have. That 4.4% decrease is worldwide, not just in America. But as he says, 5.2% grows, and the less that I forecast can be attributed to the rescue aid enacted by the American people, I'm sorry, the American government and other major industrial companies. The fact of the matter is the longer the Democrats cram lockdowns on the people, the longer that they keep Americans from working, the slower the recovery of the American economy will be. But this is exactly what the Democrats want, because they know that if President Trump goes into this election toting a recovering economy from the pandemic, that his reelection prospects drastically increase. So they will continue to cram these lockdowns, hurt the American people, all in the name of their own political agenda. All right, so in other news, last night, President Trump went back on the campaign trail and his first rally since his bout with COVID. Do I think that it was necessarily the best idea for him to go out campaigning the day that he was released by his doctors? No, but I understand that he is on the campaign trail and he's trying to show a form of tenacity and that he is still capable of discharging his duties. So in a CNN article written by Stephen Collinson, he says, In his first rally since his own bout with COVID-19, Trump painted a deeply dishonest picture of the nation's battle with the disease, mocked former President Joe Biden over social distancing, and vowed victory on November 3rd as he began a frantic push to Election Day, marked by several rallies, sorry, marked by multiple rallies, a day that could act as a super spreader of events. I'm not sure what picture Trump is painting that is dishonest. Yes, if you are over the age of 65 and get the disease, there's a good chance that you may die from it. But if you are a middle-aged adult, a young child, or teenager, the chance that you will recover from the disease is very, very, very high. With that being said, in most states, we have flattened the curve. The sole purpose is of the lockdown. The sole purposes of social distancing. The American people have stepped up and are rushing towards vaccines and treatments. Trump, at his rally, calls for the opening of American cities, saying that if you don't want to go out, then don't. But if you do, then go out and live your life. and saying that the event might be a super spreader, where... Coulson's saying that the event may be a super spreader. Where was that concern when rioters and looters were burning American cities to the ground. That's right. It wasn't there. Why? Because the Democrats only care about the narrative and the facts if it pushes their ideology, if it pushes their narrative. But because rioters and looters at the time pushed police brutality, pushed racial divide, those riots were allowed to continue. But now that Trump is campaigning and trying to rally against that oppressive left, then it is all of a sudden a very bad thing. Trump also talked about Amy Coney Barrett's nomination, where he praised her as a scholar and a defender of our Constitution. And from what I've seen, I believe that she will be. But he says something that is even more true. He talks about how the Democrats are mad because they want to tear down any institution that does not promulgate the outcomes that they want. ACB is now seen as an obstacle to them, and that is why they are so upset that she was nominated and that they do not want her confirmed. Here's that clip of Trump talking about ACB and her nomination.
1: I will say this, I will say this, it's driving them crazy. It's driving them crazy. And Amy is fantastic, a great intellect, a great scholar. I think she's gonna be a fantastic US Supreme Court justice. As America saw earlier today in Amy's opening statement in the Senate, Judge Barrett, a brilliant scholar who will defend our laws, our rights, our freedom, and our Constitution like very few people would have the capability of doing. The radical left is hell-bent on destroying everything we love and cherish. They're enraged and unhinged out of vengeance.
0: So President Trump is absolutely right when he says that, that they are enraged by the fact that there's going to be a confirmation and that the prospects of Amy Coney Barrett being confirmed into the Supreme Court before the election is more than likely going to happen. So there's actually a pretty funny moment in the rally. Now, do I think it was smart to tell these people this? Probably not. But, it's the fact that after beating the coronavirus that your body has built antibodies for fighting it, that I think that uh, Donald Trump is trying to get to. Anyway, here's President Trump saying that he's immune to the virus and that he could just go out and kiss everyone. Now they say I'm
1: immune, I can feel, I feel so powerful, I'll walk into that audience.
0: Come on, guys. Like, you may not like the guy, but that was funny. Like, the fact is, I don't think that this will have much of an impact on the election. Everyone who's for Trump knows who he is, knows what kind of person he is, and is still going to vote for him. And we take a lot of what he says with a grain of salt. With that being said, I again don't think this was necessarily the smartest decision for him seeing that he's not toting any form of lead in the polls against Joe Biden right now. And I think he needs to remember that, that he's not toting a big lead and there's not some crazy disparity in his favor during the election. But I think that he also needs to keep that energy and remain energetic. As we all know from history, normally the most energetic candidate wins the election. All right, guys. So like I said earlier, as I'm recording this, the confirmation hearing is still going on. So make sure you check in tomorrow for whatever happened after I was recording this today and of course what happens before I record tomorrow. If you don't already, make sure you follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Conservative Voice. And I hope you all have a great night. Get home safe to your family. Thanks for listening and God bless.